0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Welcome to Building Banking on Values with your host, Linda Ryan. Banking today can depend on a variety of factors, including where you bank. It's time to put the power back into your pockets. It's time to change what you think you know about banking. Now, here is Linda Ryan.
2: Welcome to Voice America: Building Banking on Values. This show is all about shining a light on the people, the passion, and the positivity out there from a banking on values perspective. Um Values-based banking is also known by another term, uh, like just banking, sustainability-focused banking, community-focused banking. So what does it actually mean? Well, it's very simple. Basically, with this type of banking, um, we have a range of diverse business models, and banks have different products and services serving different communities, but they share one thing in common. And they call that the banking model. And it's a model that commits to using all of their resources, their people, and capital to create positive economic, social, and environmental impacts. So this is a very different kind of banking to what we're used to. I was thinking about the show this week, and um, I heard something quite inspiring from a CEO of uh, Triodos Bank, one of probably the greenest investment banks in Europe, Peter Blom, And Peter Blom said something very interesting at an event uh, a while ago. And what he said was, we must become more feminine as bankers. So it was interesting to see the men and women in the audience react to that statement. And what Peter actually meant is, in terms of banks serving the people and, and putting people at the heart of what they do, This is the importance, and this is the future of the banking industry, and this is where positive impact and profit is actually growing. So it's a perfect segue into the show today, because I have two very um, passionate and very experienced women working in different fields uh, supporting this banking on values movement. And let me introduce you to them. Um, first, we will have well, sorry. First, we will have David on the show. David, I'll come back to you in just a minute. But our, our female guests on the show today are Linda von Goor who's a regulatory communications expert, and Linda's motto is to connect, translate, and empower when facilitating change in the EU banking sector. The second uh, female guest we have on the show is Dr. Catherine Cowfer. And Catherine is a researcher, human capital expert, and MIT educator changing the next generation of banking. So it's, it's a great example of the women changing banking. That leads me back to David. David, it's obvious that you're not a woman, <laughs> but I like to think that you certainly spent the last 20 years in the banking industry as a strategic advisor, really helping to nurture this values-based banking approach and this new way of banking. David joins us on the show today, and he's going to give us an overview of what's been making the news from a banking perspective in the last two weeks. David, over to you. What's happening in the news?
3: Linda, thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be back. It's also, also always nice to know I can use my reading material to help uh, help you with your program. Um, sure. I think I'd like to start with a brief update on on the fintech space. Last week, we spoke a bit about fintech as well. And at the beginning of this week, uh, it was Money 2020 in Copenhagen, an event of lots of focus on fintech. And in conjunction with that, uh, Citibank released a report predicting the loss of 2 million jobs in the banking sector as a result of fintech. Uh, it's an enormous decrease in jobs. And you're seeing now how technical advances can also affect the, the workplace in in a, a services sector, which has been a bit slower in coming. At the same time, we had uh, BBVA and Santander to Santander, two large uh, Spanish banks noting that they're predicting significant branch closings over the, over the next several years and and I think there's something uh, two sort of interesting issues to think about about this one as we lose those people in those jobs who had who'd contact with clients and as those branches are closed, does banking begin to lose some of its human human touch and and does that take it further away from from a humanistic approach to banking to becoming purely transactional something to think about something i think to be concerned about and uh, something to keep to keep in in mind uh, the second issue comes from a different angle uh, many banks feel a responsibility to address issues of the environment and social mm-hmm. justice or social inclusion financial inclusion And and within the banking world, they may do this to uh, uh, more or less successful uh, degrees, but they feel that they have a responsibility. And in some cases, as in the U.S., the Community Reinvestment Act actually uh, almost requires them to do so, to focus not just on making money but also serving the communities in which they operate. With the fintech space, we have lots of companies coming in, and the question is, will they have that same motivation, or will they be motivated only to make money? And in that process, focus on the most profitable sectors of the market and, and not focus on on uh, those people who have less uh, financial inclusion. Again, something to think about. Not always the case. We have some examples with Kiva, very active in peer-to-peer lending and microfinance. But there is, I believe, a real risk that FinTech, with its focus on delivering private equity returns to the, its investors, may tend to not focus on the societal value returns that banking should also provide. And, and David, just,
2: just, to, just to cut across you there for the for the um, the dummy inside me, can you just give me a bit more background on what you mean by fintech and how it's impacting banking?
3: Fintech is 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 actually it's sort of a buzzword, and there was an article this week also in uh, in the Financial Times. that says it's vastly overrated, but fintech encompasses a lot of different uh, different uh, aspects. And I've I've noted some of them on my LinkedIn blog because it cuts all the way across from something that we all use. One could argue that an ATM is fintech. It's a technical uh, application of financial uh, services. Um, What it's moving into now is mobile payments. It's moving in to uh bitcoin alternative currencies it's moving into um uh, peer-to-peer lending and crowdfunding so a whole series of financial products and services that are delivered through technology as opposed to the traditional banking and financial system uh, providers so that's what fintech is um, I would just note that uh, the ATMs were, were seen by uh, Paul Volcker as the only useful financial innovation that c- has come out of the banking sector, um, and uh, it's something to think about. Uh, but also, as we look forward, as fintech takes on some of these other services that sort have. Of pro- been produced by traditional banks, do we run the risk that those people excluded from the current financial system will have even less access because they won't have access to the fintech products who are focused on, on higher net worth individuals?
2: Perfect. Okay. And, and David, um, what's hit the news headlines quite recently is this uh, Panama Furore. Can you tell us a bit about that and how, how that's going to create or if it's going to create a shockwave from a banking perspective?
3: Yeah, that's an interesting question because the Panama Papers, as they're being referred to, is an enormous, enormous uh, treasure trove of internal documents from a law firm based in Panama that was very much focused on helping clients set up uh, corporate structures to effectively hide uh, true owners of assets. And um, the, the offshore companies can be used for very... Real reasons that are very valid. In some cases, people are worried about security, that they'll be kidnapped or things like that if people know how much wealth they are. I don't suspect that is the vast majority of these cases, uh, given uh, the names you see in the press. It appears that they're much more used for tax avoidance or tax evasion, and that these uh, corporate offshore companies were also used for ways of, of moving capital by governmental individuals or their their relatives from one jurisdiction to another without having it necessarily being seen. So, although there could be potentially valid reasons for using those. I suspect if we were able to look through the vast majority of the cases, that would be not so much the case. The critical issue there is that those legal structures were only possible with the assistance of banks. Um, And and that's uh, very interesting. There's a, a quote from one of the lawyers who was head of the firm's, Mr. Fonseca, who said, the law firm acted on behalf of intermediaries typically a bank or a lawyer. That says that the banks were also at the center of what was going on, and it's, it's fine to focus on the Panamanian law firm, but that uh, law firm was not operating in a vacuum. It was working with, with specific banks. And more specifically, uh, in another article, we've noted that the leak links some large banks to questionable financial dealings. UBS, Credit Suisse, and two units of HSBC all feature in the top six in the list of banks asking that law firm to create those companies. So once again, we have the large law firms making specific requests to help their clients do something that, may technically be legal, but is it, is it really morally responsible to avoid taxes or to remove capital from countries that, that have better uses for it? But, and I think that's, that goes to the core of it. There's a lot of focus on the legality of the work. I believe the head of the law firm has said we haven't been charged with anything illegal. We always did everything perfectly within the letter of the law. Um, I question whether being within the letter of the law is really enough. Uh, We live down in a society where there's enormous regulations and rules and everyone tries to stay within the rules. But I think the real question needs to be is, what is actually going on here? And if the beneficiaries were interested in in meeting human needs, would they really set up these transactions unless perhaps they have a charitable reason why they would like to pay fees to banks and lawyers. I don't think that's the case. I think they were much more focused on diverting assets, hiding illegal sources of assets and avoidance of taxes. And, and the banks and the law firms aided and abetted that, that transaction, those transactions. That makes, that makes me a bit angry to be perfectly honest. And it should also make shareholders and banks angry. Um, a few years ago, HSBC, as an example, paid 1.9 billion in a fine for some of these same types of transactions, and so that's not just a, a hit to the profit of the bank, but there's also the real cost to society of the transactions which they they were undertaking. For me, this leads to then I think two questions: one, are there going to be changes in rules and regulations? caveat about whether that really will solve the problem since there's always clever law firms and accountants and banks to stay within the rules and regulations, although not necessarily staying fully within the spirit. And more importantly for me, when will banks and others in these activities develop cultures that look through the business activity and focus on is it really helping society? Is it delivering societal values? Or is it merely a way of avoiding dealing with some critical issues? So that's sort of my thoughts about the plan of papers this week. A lot more to come on that. I suspect this uh, story will be of interest for many, many months. Uh, I think we've already seen just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, There's an enormous amount of data. It'll be very interesting to see what's buried in that data as the journalists dig it out.
2: So, David, let me pause you there. Just before we wrap up, we've probably about two minutes to go. You've spoken about kind of the negative side of banking, but, uh, you know, who out there is actually doing the right thing from a banking perspective? Can you talk about one or two banks that are are different?
3: Well, I always uh, uh, as you know, it's easy for me to refer to the the members of the Global Alliance for Banking and Values, Uh, and I think there are a number of banks Uh, And also not just banks, but also a number of units within large banks. Some of the banks mentioned have also units that are doing very, very good work who start with saying uh, society needs banking services. Uh, Banking services, as we think about it, includes how can people safely acquire wealth and save it? How can loans be made to finance productive assets? And how can cash be moved from point A to point B to make sure that the economy works well? And I think there's the vast majority of the banking system is focused on doing that. And there are lots of banks who are actually saying, let's do this traditional banking. It may be a bit boring, but maybe boring isn't so bad and particularly if it's meeting societal needs. So uh, I could name many names. I think if you go to the uh, the Global Alliance Banking and Value website, you can see a whole list of banks. But there's also lots of other banks out there who are focused on meeting client needs, and those are the banks that I think we should be, be, be looking at. And there are also banks that are focused primarily on on transactions that are in the real economy, not setting up shell corporations to, to hide from taxes or to uh, divert illegal got, illegal uh, gains, but really to focus on developing the economy, uh, developing the productive economy so people have jobs and people have savings and people have the way of, of making the economy function better.
2: David, thanks for that. I'm going to push you on some of the names because I think it's of interest to listeners to know that there are actual examples out there, and if they want to find out more information, definitely they can go to gabv.org. But, um, for example, the likes of BRAC Bank in Bangladesh seems to be doing pretty amazing things and also seems to have been set up as, as, um, as, as almost a vehicle for community and economic development. Have you come across any other banks like that? Yeah and
3: uh, there are several other banks like that Van City which is uh, based in Vancouver does a super job at, uh, Southern Bank Corp Southern Bank Corp which is based in uh, Arkansas is doing a fantastic job Uh, providing banking services in in communities that would other be banking deserts. We've heard of food deserts where there's no grocery stores, but increasingly in the U.S. there are banking deserts where there are no banking facilities and people actually need them for some of their transactions. So Southern uh, is another bank I I would want to look at. And actually, BRAC is a fascinating bank. Uh, not just because of what they do directly, but also what they do through Bcash. And Bcash is a mobile. This, is, this gets back into the fintech story. It's a mobile mobile payment system, and they've integrated it with their remittance systems. So they've got the the, the uh, means to take earnings from Bangladeshi immigrants in the UK and get it back to Bangladeshi rural communities far away from anywhere that has any real other banking services. So, so that's the kind of international payment structures that are fantastic. So if you're working in, in London... David, let me stop you there. We're,
2: we're yes. going go to go to break. Listen, thanks very much. It was great that you actually gave us some solid examples there. Um, if people want to follow you, you have a blog, and are you on social media? Do you have a handle?
3: I have a handle. I'm at Sal Dave on on Twitter, and my blog is on LinkedIn. So if people go to LinkedIn and search for me, they should should be able to find my blog. Generally, I'm posting about once a week, and typically I'll be posting commentary based upon what I discuss on this show as well. So that's a couple different ways to be followed.
2: Excellent. Thanks, David. Listen, just before we go to break, um, we are going to uh, chat with Linda Van Gur, regulatory communications expert, after the break.
4: Your
3: favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Do you find yourself working tirelessly to keep your business going? Are you finding out that you don't have time for family, friends, any kind of personal life whatsoever? It's time to stop feeling trapped by your business. Tune in to Reclaim Your Freedom with host Shirley Dalton. You'll hear from guests that will help you work on your business instead of constantly in your business and get your life back while the business keeps running and humming. Reclaim Your Freedom airs live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on Voice America Business.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
1: You are tuned into to Building Banking on Values. To reach Linda Ryan or her guests, please send an email to linda.ryan at gabv.org. That's linda.ryan at gabv.org. You may also join the social media conversation by using hashtag Banking on Values or tweet show host Linda Ryan at CatalystWarrior. Now, back to Building Banking on Values.
2: Welcome back to Building Banking on Values. Uh, we have a great guest on the show now, Linda van Goer, a regulatory communications expert whose motto is to connect, translate, empower and facilitate change in the EU banking sector. Linda has worked for universities, the banking sector, um, the Nederlandse Bank and the European Commission as a teacher, advisor, moderator, issues manager, supervisor and trainer. She's been explaining, connecting and translating um, European regulatory issues in the financial sector for years. And the European idea of unified in diversity has always been one of Linda's guiding principles. Linda, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you.
5: Thank you so much, Linda. That's a lot of words. I appreciate it a lot to be uh, to be on your show. Uh, usually, I have only a classroom full uh, of twenty students or twenty professionals, and they go to their families, and that's how the word spreads out. But this time, there's a lot of listeners who could, you know, spread the word. And may I please start with that and come back to the fintech story? Um, it's all about financial in- innovations and. Uh, The question is really what people can do themselves. You asked David for a few banks that do uh, banking on values, but actually people can go and ask themselves to their own bank, what does my money do? Uh, When people ask their bank, what does my money do, they will find out whether their bank is investing in real things that do good to society, or whether their bank is investing in synthetic CDO squares or whatever. Um, uh, when, I, when I teach children or students or professional about the concept of money, it's really important to realize that money is a means uh, to exchange value. Money is a promise a promise with which you can exchange value. And given the financial innovations, which will come every day, every day there will be new innovations, but this concept remains the same. And a number on your screen is always a promise. So if you, as a person, know that this number is a promise from someone to someone else and you know what is yours and what is the others that's where it starts and then you can realize that you can actually make a difference in society by making choices do I consume it, do I buy ice cream or do I buy a newspaper and collect information or do I buy a pen and produce or do I save it and What your money does and what the mass of people do in making these choices, that is what makes society. And you can start today or tomorrow asking your bank, where your money uh, is uh, saved, uh, what do you do with my money? And, well, to come back to what I do as a job uh, on a daily basis in the European Union, try to get uh, banking on values and support that, the European Union is supporting many financial initiatives But the funny thing is they always support real things like um, uh, clean energy in emerging countries or access for SMEs to the financial markets by educating SMEs, real stuff. they, They never support like synthetic CDO squares or I don't know what kind of portfolios with numbers in it that no human being can understand. So it's very important that each and every individual well, realizes what money is that what and what you do with your money makes a difference. So,
2: Linda, tell me more about your role.
5: My, my role in, uh, is uh, well, as you explained it very well, is translate, connect, and empower. When I translate, that's when I uh, explain regulation to, well, in my case, banks who have to apply regulation. The thing is that officials. In Brussels, in Europe, is that and politicians make rules not to make life difficult. They make rules to make banks sound, to make the financial system sound and stable. So when banking banks like the, the values-based banks who have you know good figures were performing well throughout the crisis, always capital numbers over 10%, always leverage you know over one in ten, uh, very sound. The, the officials who draft the regulation don't want to tease them. They want to make their life easy. And if regulation makes their life difficult, then something's wrong. What I start is try to, to explain to bankers, bankers who are banking on values, that regulation is actually supporting them, and it's meant to support the way they work. Now, if in that process something appears that, that's not supporting values, then we go back, and I connect the bankers who are banking on values, to the officials and the politicians drafting new legislation and the legislators. And the good thing, I mean, it must, must be the same in the USA and in Canada, but officials drafting and revising new legislation, for example, for the financial sector, always mean to do good, and they always mean to improve society. And so they recognize when they meet people who all want to do the same thing, and they find each other on those values, and then I make them sit together and, you know, translate between the two, because they may talk, talk a different language, as in technical language, and we come to solutions that support society. Um, and in the, I mean, I've seen beautiful stuff uh, um, arising there, uh, creating hundreds of millions of uh, room to finance uh, SMEs in the process, and uh, yeah, so that's that's the translation and the connection. And then at the end, both ends of the relationship. So both regulators and banks achieve their objectives better. Regulators achieve the objective of a sound system, a stable system that provides finance to all those who need it. Uh, and banks uh, achieve their objective of financing firms that they like and doing something good for society.
2: Um, and so in, terms of, in terms of your work, who, who connects with you to do this work? You know, is it a regulator um, in Brussels connects with you, or is it a values-based bank? Um, can you talk to us a bit about that?
5: Yeah. Well, the thing is, I've, I've been in this small world of, of bankers for 25 years. And I've had several roles. I was an academic teacher, did a PhD on on financial history. I was a supervisor. Um, uh, I I was uh, drafting legislation in Brussels. Um, So I've been a lobbyist for the big banks. Uh, so I've been in very different roles in the sector. So I know many, many people. And especially when I was working for the European Commission, um, well, precisely during the crisis between 2007 and 2013, I had the opportunity to meet all of them. So I, I had the opportunity to meet actors that all have their own objectives. Uh, and then at some point I realized, hey, The story of the smaller banks, the story of those really small players who have beautiful stories, it's not told. Nobody hears that voice in Brussels. And I decided to go and step up and be their voice. And that's when I went to uh, smaller banks, like the members of the Global Alliance for Banking on Values, to ask them, do you want me to be your voice? And that's, that's how it all started. I mean, the network of supervisors and regulators and and legislators, I I had that already. And now I was, well, um, uh, really bringing together all those people who, who have the same objectives and now can achieve their objectives better because they join up.
2: Fantastic. So in, in terms of going to the regulator or the regulators, um, are they surprised to hear about these types of values-based banks? And are they interested in, in why someone like you would act as a facilitator and, and represent the banks um, to to help them with what they're trying to do?
5: Yeah, well, they are so welcoming, this story. Um uh, you must realize that during the crisis, uh, they all had to deal with all those state-aided banks. They had to deal with disturbed systems. They had to deal with things that went bad, 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 and they had to solve it, et cetera. And now I come and I tell them stories that worked throughout the crisis. You know, um, uh, depositors and investors and firms that actually survived throughout the crisis that engineers that uh started new businesses uh throughout the crisis um, and and they love hearing those stories they love it um, they, of course, the, the, the big banks and the big players, and everyone has uh, a lo- lobbyists. And the regulatory affairs world is a, is, a, is a big business, of course. And officials are used to hearing those stories, and hearing another story is great to them. They are so welcome every time again. And and I know it is because I was there for six years. But then every time I come and I tell them, and, and they, are, they they love it so much here in the other sort, I, I, it surprises me. Uh, but then in the end, it, it, it doesn't surprise me because I knew that it is a different story, and it's a nice way to talk about society. And but actually, there is a model out there which is sound and uh, and and uh, you know and profitable, uh, which can work.
2: Um, oh so yeah, they, they like it a lot. Can you give me one or two examples of where your work has helped perhaps even change legislation or help facilitate more support for these values-based banks?
5: Well, a a typical example is uh, the latest uh, agenda of the European Commission for Jobs and Growth, where they look at USA and they see that smaller firms and retail investors find each other. So retail investors can invest in funds that finance smaller firms. Um, In Europe, uh, that's still difficult. Uh, Small entrepreneurs and small savers uh, hardly find each other. And that's because it's regarded complex. And complex is dangerous. Now, I must say that investing in something uh, without informing yourself is dangerous. You shouldn't. You should always know where your money goes. But when you look at crowdfunding, for example, you see that retail investors so much like to know what their money does. So the popularity of crowdfunding tells me, okay, there's an opportunity there. And the European Commission sees that too. So they are talking to, uh, well, to my clients and me about how do you connect retail investors to uh, portfolios, to, to small firms, to a fund structure that is safe for the investors but still opens up access to finance for the smaller firms and we've come I think in the discussions that they are very positive and very constructive and I plan to go ahead with that and talk to parliament your uh, parliamentarians in the European Parliament about the same thing um, and the, 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 the pivotal argument is about the definition of non-complex so the definition of simple what is simple actually And up until now, non-complex or simple is regarded when a firm is listed on a stock exchange. That's regarded non-complex. And when it's not, then it's regarded complex. Well, and in my view, when I look at, well, let's take the Hague. Shell Oil has its headquarters here. When I look at, when I take stock in Shell Oil, I have no clue how that organization is organized. Nobody can... You know, understand what's really happening, what is happening to my part in that organization. It's difficult, but when I look at a loan, a plain vanilla loan with clear conditions, with clear, uh, you know, interest rates, terms. I know who is doing what. Um, I can and I can follow the firm, what he is doing, etc. That's to me, it feels a lot simpler. Uh, now what I'm doing now is is talk to a lot of people about this definition of non-complex, and that a plain vanilla alone can be regarded as non-complex. And so, uh, yeah, well, we will try to, uh, to to get to some results there uh, this year, um, even. I think the stands right up so much
2: work that you're doing um, is helping to. It's helping values-based banks to not only to to basically facilitate an exchange of value. So to facilitate more investment in local businesses, um, and also to facilitate open up investment opportunities for small small customers like yourself and myself. So we don't have to be the very large organisations to actually invest or channel our money into the things that make a difference to us and can have an impact on our community.
5: Yes, indeed. That's the whole idea. So both for savers and individuals like you and me and for uh, small firms or entrepreneurs or all those beautiful engineers out there who are, you know, innovating every day, uh, bring them together and make them, you know, make society uh, better every day. Um, You can actually make legal arrangements and structures in which they can do that in a safe way. And crowdfunding now is so popular that you see that people really have you know, um, uh, have an interest in in trying and doing that. Uh, so if we can make it safe, then that would be great.
2: Fantastic. You you once wrote something. Um, actually, you quoted Churchill and you said, "We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give." It sounds yeah. like you're really you're really getting to to live that dream. You're really getting to use all of your skills to help connect. Um, values-based banks to regulators and to help connect regulators in a way to um, the impact that they can facilitate as regulators for, for just the average Joe like you and me. Um, Linda, yeah. if, people, if people want to get in touch with you, um, to where, where should they go? Well, uh, Google Linda van
5: Hoor, and you'll probably find me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, also, when you Google Linda van Hoor Conglomerates, uh, I used to have Conglomerates as my last name, and, and you find me. Um, or go to my website regulatory-communication.eu, um, and uh, via the website of your show,
2: of course. Uh, it's all easy. Thank Fine. you very so much. Linda, thanks so much I, I find it so interesting to speak to someone who's actually in touch with regulators because it, I think to most of us it's like you know they're they're uh, like a dark shadow. How do you get into, how do you get in touch with them? you know Is it a world of bad lobbying but it sounds like you're almost <laughs> a white knight out there really helping to to connect and to translate legislation into something meaningful so that all of us can have more power um, in in the money that we We use and we channel into banking every day. Linda, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Folks, let's go to a break. Thank you, Linda.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. What makes great leaders? Results? A lasting legacy? Is it making a difference in your life? or maybe the lives of others. I Lead, the leadership connection with host Dr. Linda Sharkey, will bring you the practical tips and tools to make you an extraordinary leader. And by doing so, build a better, more successful, and more profitable organization. Our show is all about you, the leader that you can be, and the culture that you can create. Tune in to I Lead The Leadership Connection, live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry go round now. Tune in to the Business Edge with Marcia Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: You are tuned into Building Banking on Values. To reach Linda Ryan or her guests, please send an email to lynda.ryan at gabv.org. That's lynda.ryan at gabv.org. You may also join the social media conversation by using hashtag Banking on Values or tweet show host Linda Ryan at CatalystWarrior. Now back to Building Banking on Values.
2: Folks, welcome back to Building Banking on Values. This is a show that's about give, giving you a very different perspective on a very different and very positive type of uh, banking movement. Um, our next guest is Dr. Katrin Kaufer, researcher, human expert, or sorry, human capital expert and uh, an MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology educator, changing the next generation of banking professionals. Catherine um, is also a research director at an organization called the Presencing Institute and a research fellow at the Community Innovators Lab at MIT's Department of Urban Studies and Planning. Catherine focuses on research on topics like leadership, social transformation, and socially responsible banking. Catherine uh, has an MBA and a PhD. And she has spent a number of years consulting with mid sized organizations as well as global companies and not for profits. So, organizations like the World Bank and United Nations Development Program in New York. Katrin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Linda. Katrin, your current work with uh, MIT—I hear there's some pretty amazing news um, in the launch of one of the world's first courses on this whole concept of, I think you call it, just money or banking on values. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
4: Yeah, I'm happy to. Thank you so much, Linda. So, um, in you know, right after the financial crisis, we created um, a work group here at MIT. We realized. Um, that this crisis is not just an accident but there might be a systemic issue underlying um what was happening in the financial sector i mean when when you look at the data right before the crisis the mckinsey global institute um calculated that the world's financial markets was really actually struggling to find investment opportunities for one hundred and sixty-seven trillion of global liquidity, which is basically three times the aggregated global GDP. So what you were seeing was um, a systemic issue, um, money-seeking investment opportunities that led to the development of um, financial products that actually at the end of the day um, harmed um, our what we call the real economy. So We um, started um, this research project uh, with a subgroup here at MIT um, and asked, these larger questions, are the systemic issues that, that we are facing as society when it comes to our financial sector and when it comes to our, how our economies um, operate. And um, the result of the thinking um, is that uh, we believe we we need a shift in how we think about our economic system. So we need a change uh, in paradigm about um economics and, um, to summarize, you know, this whole process, this three year process and, and also the research results that came out of that in, in, in one sentence, our current economic system is based on this idea that all of us are driven by our self-interest, you know, so we all have these, um, this self-interest that carries our the entrepreneurial spirit that, at the end of the day, creates these markets. And when you take a little bit of a closer look, you realize that the self-interest, um, is not just within ourselves. Our interest often includes our family, our community, nature, you know, who wants global warming. So to articulate this core driving force of our economic system just within an individual perspective is too limited. And, and that's also where the values-based banks that Linda and David and also you, Linda, are talking about set a great example. So what's driving these banks is that they not just focus on, you know, what's our profit today, but um, they see the impact that they have as part of the result of their work. So, this, so, so to come back to, you know, how does our economic system works. So um, we are not just driven by this, very limited form of self-interest. The question is, where does our self-interest end? You know, does it end with my family, with my account, or does it include my community? Does it include my, my grandchildren? Does it include my, my love for nature? And, um, if you think economics in this way, you suddenly get a different picture. Suddenly it makes sense to say, you know, as a bank, I'm using finance to address core challenges that we face, ecological challenges, social challenges. And um, I've had the honor to work with several of the banks, also with the group that David mentioned in the beginning, the Global Alliance for Banking on Values, which has a fascinating um, goal, which is, you know, let's let's connect and create um, a movement for this type of banking, a type of banking that has at its core business model, using finance to um, address social and ecological challenges. And um, I'm I'm teaching here, and I realized that a lot of the students here, a lot of um, individuals I meet here in in my research um, um, in Cambridge um, had no clue that this type of banking exists. So as a result, um, we decided um, to, you know, conduct research to understand how these banks work, what they do, what is their impact. And um, at the same time, MIT, Harvard, and some other universities in this area started um, uh, a new project, an online platform that um, basically where they put all their um, courses uh, on and um these courses are actually free accessible so it's a revolutionary idea in education um it's called MIT edx so if you put into your search engine MIT edx um it it will come up right away and you um can find all kinds of courses that are taught here at MIT and at, at 35 other universities so we decided to create a course on this type of banking that I just described. And this course is called Just Bank, uh, just Money Banking as a Society Mattered. And um, it gives you an insight. I mean, even if you have no clue about economics, no clue about finance, no clue about banking, um, this course gives you an opportunity to explore this. And our assumption is they're all bankers. You know, whoever has an account, whoever has money in his or her hand. Is a banker and Linda outlined that before. We, 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 um, take decisions every day, um, on how to spend our money, where we deposit our money. So, um, we are part of the system and, and this course introduced you to, to these ideas. You know, how does this different type of, um, banking look like? And what can you do? It also offers you an opportunity to connect to other folks. So we call this O2O, online to offline. So some of the participants of these um courses meet actually in person they create hubs and then discuss you know what is banking um, what's happening around me um, also discuss broader question about economics or what can i do and um this course offers basically an infrastructure to explore this um whole subject
2: And Katrin, who who is the target audience for this course? You know, is it professionals in the banking industry? Are you trying to change the profession? Or is it just people like you and I who who are interested in this and want to learn more? Or is it students at MIT? Can you talk to us a bit about that?
4: yeah happy to um so on purpose, we design this course in a way that anyone can um participate um so online learning differs from what we all have learned in school, you know where you have to sit through a class wh- whether it interests you or not so online learning basically means you know you have a set of videos and other materials, and your interest drives your learning so um so the the material we offer um is geared to folks who actually work in these types of banks folks who work in conventional banks and are curious you know what kind of other banking is out there but it also is geared to someone who has no clue about banking and just is concerned about what's happening in our um, financial sector and is there an alternative and Catherine, what's the interest been so far? Like, Has the course
2: started yet or are people subscribing? Can you tell us when the course starts and, and what the interest is?
4: Yeah, so the interest has been high. We already have over 3,000 people who signed up and we haven't even promoted it. And um, the official launch date is in two weeks, so April the 19th. And, um, you can just sign up by, you know, putting your name in there and gaining access to the course material. And how it works is that, um, on, uh, one day of the week, the material gets released. And we also will have, and then you can, you know, just watch and explore what you like. Each, um, week has a theme. So the first theme is about, you know, banking in general. The second one, you know, what does your money do at night? And then there's a theme about, what is money? You know, what is value? What's an asset? And, and then at the end, we also talk about, you know, um, what's the banking, what is banking in the future, maybe in four or five years. I mean, David touched on that, but what's happening in the fintech sector is, um, so revolutionary, you know, um, probably most of the listeners know the Bill Gates quote, um, we need um, banking, but not banks. So, you know, what will we have in the future? Will there be banks? But it also will pose the question of what banking does our future need? And, and this is a core question because we believe that uh, we will not be able to address the, so the pressing issues we, we are faced with as a society, the ecological issues, the social issues, if we don't have banks that are capable to help us finance solutions. So we need banks that um, have as a core business model – um, that they use finance as a tool to help addressing these, these issues. And, and that will be one week that we, uh, one theme that we explore at the end. And, um, in contrast to most of these, we call this massive open online courses, MOOCs, um, this course will also have, um, these, um, offline components so you can actually meet people and it will have live streams so we will have a panel here at MIT and you can just you know put in the questions engage with folks and and um, yeah watch the live stream which is then not pre-recorded but um, yeah a, a live panel discussion
2: So it sounds like MIT is at the forefront of not only creating a revolution in in education, making it online, number one, um, but also online to in-person, number two, but also free and uh, inspiring, I guess, the next generation of of bankers. We're all bankers, really, at the end of the day, whether we're working in the profession or whether we're putting money into a bank, but to look at a different concept of banking on, on values. So it sounds quite, quite, um, quite brave, actually, you know, for for, uh, an organization like MIT to get involved in something like this.
4: Um, I think what what is really driving the interest is a a deep concern for what is happening right now. And, I mean, I can't speak for MIT as a whole, so this is, you know, a research group here at MIT, but what's driving us here as as researchers is... um, an acknowledgement of where we are as society. And um, I mean, if you look into what's happening in the financial sector, it doesn't take a lot of science to see that there are real issues. And I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't moralize. I mean, I feel like if people make money, that's their business. I'm, you know, I'm happy for them. But what concerns me are two things. One The negative externalities of the current financial sector on our society, I mean, in terms of a crisis, in terms of um, um, the the competition around money. But the second um, issue, which is probably as big but not discussed at all, is actually that good ideas don't have access to finance. So ideas that really help us moving forward. And that's really what's driving this. Um, we need these values-based banks who are um, developing. And, and I like David's example of the Bcash. So developing in a financial product, not from the perspective, hey, let's bundle these mortgages and sell them around so that we make a quick buck, but to um, develop a financial product from the perspective of the well-being of the client so you have these Bangladeshis working outside of the country and not being able to bring back remittances to their family that are you know, distributed in re- very remote villages. Let's, dev- let's design a financial product to solve this problem. So to design financial products from this perspective and not from the pure profit perspective. And I think this, and I mean, maybe in closure, um, So um, we we look at banks as if there were um, just any type of business. You know, let's just look at the free market perspective. Banks should be just do what they want to do. What we are missing in this point of view is um, the fact that banks deal with money and banks deal with something that is actually a legal construct. I mean, Linda described this really well a few minutes earlier. So banks are not building computers they're not building tables. So banks... Deals with something that the value of money has to do with the society as a whole, and is um, dependent on the government. So banks actually sit at this—you know—at this spot between our economic system and the, the governmental system. So that actually the conclusion is very simple: banks have a different responsibility in our economic system than, let's say, a computer company, a pharmaceutical company. What a, what a great way to
2: end it there that banks have a different level of responsibility. Um, yeah. Catherine, it's been great having you on the show. If people want to find out more about this massive open online course called Just Money Banking as If Society Mattered,
4: can you tell us very quickly where they would go? Yeah, just um, Google um, MIT edX and then Just Money. So the title of the class is Just Money Banking as If Society Mattered, and then, then you find that.
2: Fantastic. Catherine, thanks very much. Listen, folks, thank you so much for
4: Thanks, Catherine.
2: Let's wrap thank up. You. I mean, we, We've had some very, very interesting people on the show today. We've had David Korsland, who's a strategic advisor in the banking sector, telling us about, you know, giving us uh, behind the scenes and what's in the news and, and how it has an impact on banking and values based banking. We had Linda Van Goer, who who essentially is uh, a type of very positive white knight lobbyist in Europe who is helping to connect values-based banks with regulators so that legislation serves us better. So us from the perspective of, you know what, we're all bankers. We put money in these banks and we want our money to go into things that have an impact on us and our community. And we had a fantastic... um insight from Dr. Katrin, Ka- Katrin Kaufer from MIT in the Presencing Institute who is launching the world's first massive open online course on this very concept of banking on values. It's called Just Money, Banking as if Society Mattered. So folks it's been a fantastic show. I hope you found some positive inspiration and some hope. Um, I think what I take from this show is that, you know, we've got to ask the questions, where do I want to put my money? What does my money do? Um, money is a promise, and it's about an exchange of value. So where does my self-interest lie? Where does your self-interest lie? And how, how can we all, as bankers, create a system that supports us as people and supports our communities and organizations that make us strong. Folks, it's been wonderful. Um, if you want to tweet me, I'm at Catalyst Warrior. You can also tweet the show at Voice AM Business. And the hashtag that we use is Banking on Values. Don't forget to check out the Twitter handle at MITX underscore Just Money. If you're interested in following uh, on social media what's happening with the Just Money, Banking as if Society Mattered, look. Thank you very much, folks. Talk to you soon.
1: Thank you for listening to Building Banking on Values. Please join your host, Linda Ryan, again next Thursday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.